Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for tuning in. This, come on, is the Grace for This City podcast, and we are helping you, friends. Yes, helping you to turn cities upside down. We are giving you scriptural motivation and strategies. Hallelujah. I believe they're working. If you'll implement them, it'll work for you. Hallelujah. And I'm telling you, you're going to be shifted and and maneuvered right out on the front lines with Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, we thank you. You're going to see healings, deliverances. You're going to see people come to know Jesus as their Savior, get filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, little sha-la-la. I mean, tremendous things. Word of prophecy, word of knowledge. Come on, tongues and interpretation, gifts of healings, faith. Oh, I'm telling you, friends, I'm excited for you because you are out there getting it done. Praise God for it. And, uh, well, we got a great episode today. And uh, again, thank you so much for tuning in. It's a joy. It's an honor to be able to uh, gather together with you every week and uh, go over the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hey, we're sending CDs to people at at no charge. That's right. We're just getting the word out there. And if you know somebody that would be blessed by some of the material that we have produced and you're like, you know what? They need a CD. Well, we got you covered right here. We're producing CDs and we'll mail them out at no charge. This one's Faith Refresher a faith checkup episode 132 you know anybody that needs a faith refresher send us an email with their name and address and we'll get it out to them and it'd be our honor to do just that of course you know they can get the digital content maybe you share a link or something Uh, of course all that's free hallelujah and it's because of people just like you helping us to underwrite the cost of this uh production and we're so very honored that you do that hey let me tell you about a project that we're working on we're calling it the studio project and uh, we've got a building on our property that the Lord said to put some studios in. And so uh, we are going to build three studio sets. One of them is like a sit down, you know, couch and chair interview style. You've probably seen shows like like that. We have guests on talk about various things. That's one of the sets. Another studio set will be an expanded podcast set. If you're watching me right now on Facebook or YouTube, or wherever, you can kind of see the studio that we work with now. This has been phenomenal. Uh, but we can do a few other little things over there with the uh, podcast set. And then the third studio set is what we're calling Equippers Academy or Equippers University and or. Uh, and it's where we can sit down and it'd be like a headshot style where we can go over Bible topics, kind of like a, like a school or a university. We can track people's progression through these topics. And uh, that'll be the third set over there. So we're absolutely excited uh, to get to work on that. And I'm inviting you to participate. If the Lord puts it on your heart, maybe pray and considered how, how you could help us accomplish that vision. Uh, any gift is tax deductible, and we just thank you in advance. If you'd like to be a part of that, you can go to our website, gracecitychurch.tv forward slash give. Select the give option there. In the drop-down menu, there's a, uh, the project's called Studio Project. And uh, thank you for helping us accomplish that Vision. The Lord said, get the word out there. That's what we're doing. We've been in 155 nations. Of course, that was, that's been several months ago since I looked. I'm sure we've added a few more since then. I believe, hallelujah, that the word of the Lord uh, through our ministry, 
we'll get to every nation. That's what the Lord said. He said, we'll touch every nation. And uh, so we're just being faithful and obedient to just sit down and deliver the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, it's fascinating, friends. It's exciting. All right, let's jump into today's podcast. Now, I had a specific request uh, to cover uh, a particular thought or a subject, and so I'm going to do that. It may take several weeks to do this, but um, I want to talk about women in ministry. Can women preach? Uh, The short answer is yes, but let's look into the Bible uh, as to what the Bible may say. And I'm going to use uh, some reference materials to help help me here. One of my spiritual mentors, Kenneth e. Hagan. We're going to pull from some of his thoughts, but we're going to dig into this. And like I said, it may take a couple times to cover all of it, but um, this is for so many in the body of Christ. This is a, a controversial subject uh, unnecessarily, but nonetheless, it is extremely controversial. Uh, remember when Jesus said, he said, traditions of men make void i think one translation says they nullify uh, we could say cancels out uh the power of god uh they make or, or these traditions make void the power and wow hallelujah you uh me others we've all got caught up in that at some point at some time as we've navigated this you know um some sometimes churches even do things because, well, that's just the way we've always done it. Well, those types of traditions right there can get in the way of what God wants to do. It can circumvent the power uh, of the scriptures because we've added these traditions on top and the traditions have clouded our judgment or have altered the word in some extent or to some extent. And I think this is one of those controversies. There's several controversial things, but I think this is probably one of the one, you know, top 10 major controversies in the body of Christ today is certain passages that it seems like totally negates the right that women have to be able to stand up in an office or in a position of leadership to teach and preach, pastor, etc. Hallelujah, somebody. Are you ready for this? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Um so let's see here. Let's get going. And uh, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. Uh, let's see. I've got it here in the King James. Let me look it up in the New King James. If you got your Bible or some sort of digital Bible. Uh, let's see. That's 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14. And here we go. Let's see here. It says, verse 34, let your women keep silent in the churches. I don't. I don't know if some people have even read beyond that. Like they just take that right there. They lift that phrase and they say, all right, here's a new rule. All women must be silent in the churches. Well, that's, that's where these controversies come into play is potentially when we don't rightly divide scripture. You know, you can't just lift one verse and make complete and totality doctrines many times out of just one verse. There has to be a harmony of thought, a harmony of scripture. Um, you know, Peter even talked about, when he was talking about the Old Testament prophets, that scripture is not of any private interpretation. What does that mean? It means there's a harmony of thought. There's a sequence of thought. Scriptures will harmonize with other scriptures. And by the way, for something to be biblical, you got to have Bible on it. Again, this is where uh, some traditions come into play. You know, this is not, an, this is not a new problem either 
you know, you had like the the Jewish history, Jewish culture, for example, they have what they call the oral laws, and these are uh, laws or um, provisions, restrictions, do's and don'ts. Okay, that have been passed down from generation after generation. They were not written down. They were passed down orally, meaning they would tell, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. Well, you can imagine over time, if you've ever played that game, you know, if you get like 25 people and you start over here with number one and you have that person whisper in their ear a statement, if you've ever played that game, by the time you get 20, 25 people down, many times that statement has been changed. And uh, that's just because people aren't always listening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I, I heard you. Well, no, you didn't. All right, so this... Uh, traditions can be passed down, but yet over time may have started out, you know, may have started out good. It could have been a good thought, a good concept, but by the time it gets passed down to certain generations, it can have been altered. You can even have written word and somebody has an opinion on it and they preach that opinion. And then people are hearing that opinion. Somebody turns around, re-preaches it and they heard it and turn around re-preach it. And you can have generations now of churches or denominations that have gotten so far off the actual context of the word, but they just continue barreling down because it's become a tradition now, or their whole church domination is based on <laughs> a particular rendering or opinion or interpretation of a Bible text. There's gobs of them. Um, like the reason why they are where they are, you know, the name over their door is the difference. You know, it's their interpretation. So it gets into all kinds of trouble. But right here, you get people who just lift this little phrase right here and make a whole church after it. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. <laughs> but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. Verse 35, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Verse 36, or, now watch this, or... Did the word of God come originally from you, or was it you only that it reached? Verse 37, if anyone thinks himself to be a, a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. All right. Now, here's what Brother Hagin says, and I'm going to reference some of his materials. As we mentioned, uh, and he's talking about from some earlier sections that he was writing on, we're going to look at the original Greek here. And and he had already communicated. If you've done a word study of how the Greek words work, then you would understand what we're talking about here. We're, we're just going to jump in here, so you may have to do a little bit of your homework here. But he said, in the Greek, there's only one word for man. and There is no standalone word for husband. And same is true uh, for woman. There's a, the, the Greek. Now, in the Hebrew, you've got ish and isha, and this stands for husband, wife. But in the Greek, you only have like um, kind of like one thought here. All right, same uh, for uh, husband. There's no standalone Greek word for husband. It's kind of generically man. And there's no standalone Greek word for wife. It's kind of generic woman. You must determine from the context whether a text is talking about women in general or specifically about wives. Now, we've been doing a study uh, in recent times. I've done several podcasts on it. We've been doing a study of head body. And so you also have to keep that mystery, Ephesians chapter 5, you've got to apply this mystery here because uh, the Bible will use the, the woman or the wife as a representative 
of the body uh, uh, globally, uh, 30,000 foot view as the body big picture. Many times it'll use husband, sometimes man, to represent headship anointing generally. Now that's not saying that every man is over every woman. So in context, you have to recognize what is the spirit of the Lord trying to tell us? So sometimes when the Bible's talking about the mystery of how the body yields to the head, he'll talk about husbands and wives. Again, it's not meaning that husbands are to be these dominant chauvinistic, you know, authoritarian, but it's talking about who's anointed to lead in certain defined relationships. All right, so here's what Brother Hagin's saying. He said, you have to understand the context here. You must determine from the context whether the text is talking about women in general or specifically about wives. In verse 34, for example, it's not talking about all women. It couldn't be because the next verse says, if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands. So we know from the context we're talking about this uh, particularly defined relationship here. All women everywhere don't have husbands. Unmarried women are certainly not included in this text. Uh, the Greek word, uh, and I don't know how to say it, but it's G-Y-N-E, should have been rendered here as wives. Let your wives keep silent. A.S. Worrell translates these verses like this. Let the wives keep silent in the assemblies, for it is not per uh, for it is not permitted them to speak, but let them be in subjection, as also says the law. And if they wish to learn anything, let them ask, ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for a wife to speak in an assembly. The other famous text on this subject is much like our first one in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Let's look at this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. Now, um, I don't know if he's going to cover this or not. I don't think he is. But another very controversial passage that really trips people up unnecessarily uh, is 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul's dealing with hair. And I'm telling you, there are massive movements that have taken, um, you know, just a very generic view of that passage, and their entire movement is based off the women not cutting their hair. Well, if you look at that passage in context, he is imploring them to recognize something that is going on in their culture. And at that time, Greek and Roman culture, uh, it was very popular for the men to cut their hair short, and it was not culturally accepted for a woman for a woman to have her head shaved or shorn very short. That was punishment typically for harlotry or prostitutes. And so there was cultural things. He's not saying it was right, wrong, or otherwise. It was it was known in the culture. He was drawing from what they knew to be culturally relevant and using that as as an example, as a platform in which to draw their attention to the actual context of that passage. What is the context that Paul was trying to get over to them? He was trying to reveal to them who is the recipient of the glory. And he said that the body is the recipient of the glory of the head. And all this was a mystery talking about the bride and the body of Jesus Christ. That's ultimately where, where this culminates. And we are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And he's saying, listen, the bride, the body is the recipient of the glory. And so he was using something that they could understand. 
And he says, the woman is the glory of man, but man is the glory of God. And he said, for this reason, and he was again, imploring on a natural thing in their culture where they could uh, bridge the gap to the revelation or understand the mystery. He was saying, you know, that if a woman uh, is shaven, if her head's shaved, then you understand that there is a rejection of the headship or the covering in her life. Again, remember, he's pointing them to the ultimate revelation of the mystery. All right, this is what's happening in all these texts here, okay? So if, if you're willing to not get all bent out of shape, if you're willing to navigate what uh, the clouded waters that men have stirred up over these passages here, and I'm not talking like men males, but just men in general, people have clouded, they've muddied the water on some of this stuff, because they make it about natural things when it has nothing to do with natural things, has everything to do with a heavenly revelation. All right, so let's keep digging here. Uh, what, do we, what do we say? First Timothy chapter two. Now, again, I'll read it in the New King James, and then we'll read it um, in the King James. Verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Verse 12, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. All right, here's the King James. Let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was for first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Verse 15, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Okay, that's 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. All right, this is these are a couple of these really controversial passages unnecessarily because people have muddied the waters because they're only trying to derive a natural revelation. I'm telling you, you're not going to get far there. And we've missed the greater revelation. Uh, it's the mystery, Ephesians 5, head, body, husband, wife. We're missing the revelation as it concerns Christ and his bride, Christ and his body. All right, here's what Brother Hagin says. Remembering these things about our text will help you un understand them. Number one, Paul is not talking about all women. He's talking about wives. Number two, he is talking about learning something and asking questions. We found that in 1 Corinthians 14, 35, and in verse 11 here. Uh, what does it say? He says, let a woman learn uh, in silence. Translate the Greek word, which is translated here, G-Y-N-E, as wife rather than woman. Okay, so the translators, again, we're relying on, and praise God, they've done a great job. But you and I sometimes have to go back to the original language, find out what was actually being said, and then in context, we have to know, did they mean this word or that word? And sometimes, generally, generically, they just chose woman, when actually, he's talking about wife or what? The body, the body posture. That's the ultimate revelation here. Christ is the head, you and I are the body. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. A lot of people want to make this a male-female issue. It's a head-body issue. All right, here we go. So translate this word, uh, the, the Greek word is as wife rather than woman. Look at the context. He's talking about wives or bodies. And these texts will make sense to you. In Timothy, Paul refers to Adam and Eve, a husband and a wife. 
by the way, the first man, woman. And when Adam in Genesis, when woman was presented to him, he called her Isha. If you look up the Hebrew word, he called her Isha. He called her wife. And we know derivative from that, she was taken from him, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. Same thing that was said of us about Christ. We are the body of Christ, okay? So these terms, these revelatory terms are from heaven. Adam knew this is my wife. This is my body, a.k.a. wife. I'm the head, anointed head, all right? So here, uh, Paul refers to Adam and Eve, uh, a husband and wife. He's dealing with a husband and wife proposition. You see, there's really no great danger of women in general dictating, domineering, or usurping authority over men in general. But wives have been known to subject their husbands to such indignity. And Paul is saying the wife is to not dictate to her husband. Let me add this in here. The body is to not dictate to the head. Why? Because you know, even from natural law, that the body receives its impulse or command or instruction from the head, the command and control center. All right, anointed. It's anointed. They're interdependent. They're not to be dependent, and they're not to uh, combat one another. They're to work together in sequence. But the head is the command and control center. The eyes and the ears and the mouth are in the head. The body, though, has the arms and the legs. The body is the receiving end, come on, of the visionary aspects of the head, interdependent. Hallelujah. So here he's, he's saying that the wife, the body, was not designed, nor is it anointed, to usurp or the dictate over the head. Headship anointing is to bring leadership to the body. That's how God designed it. And he says that, um, and this is based in Genesis 2, you've, right after the curse, uh, the temptation now to Eve, the temptation to uh, Isha, the temptation to uh, wife, uh, because of the fall of man, is to try and usurp authority over its headship. Remember, that's Genesis 3. And then the temptation for leadership, uh, Adam, Ish, husband, uh, head, is to try and dominate or be tyrannical or lord itself over the body. Both have to recognize the greatest weakness to their anointings and then the, the temptations that try and twist their anointings into something that's perverted. So he's saying, the Paul, uh, Paul's saying, the wife is not to dictate to her husband or usurp authority over him. The women in that day, in that time and culture, had little or no education. And Paul advised the wives that if they would learn anything to seek uh that wisdom and counsel, et cetera, from their husbands at home, thus implying the men were better informed than the women. Alas, this is not always true now. It was true then. It's not always true now. Many women would die in hopeless ignorance of the principles of our holy faith if they depended on what crude, half-baked, pernicious, and fallacious ideas their, hus their husbands could communicate to them. Every scripture, all right, must be interpreted in the light of what other scriptures say on the same subject. It must harmonize with other scriptures. Much error has resulted from ignoring the law of interpretation. That's how people have gotten off into uh, difficulty on this subject as well as others. 
the interpretation we put on our text scriptures must harmonize with all other scripture. You can lift verses out of their setting. You can ignore the law of interpretation and you can make them say anything you want them to say. Um, there have been some wonderful men with beautiful spirits of love baptized with the Holy spirit who were great witnesses and blessings to others for a while. But then they got off into error because they did not interpret Scripture in the light of other Scriptures. One such man told me how God had brought him into a great revelation. Revelation is all right if it is in line with the Word. If it isn't, forget it. Well, then it wouldn't be true revelation, would it? He thought, this, this, this man, thought he had a great revelation which no one else knew about. But some of us have been in Pentecost a mighty long time, and we've seen certain things come up every now and then, and then they fall. Such was the case with this man's revelation. They put various pretty names on it, like restoration, eternal restoration, ultimate reconciliation, etc. In essence, it was that everything is going to be restored and everybody is going to be saved. One such group taught that even evil spirits and even possibly the devil would be saved. And they picked out a few verses of Scripture which they think say that. An another man with the same revelation was so thrilled when he told me what he had found out from the Bible. I could tell from his breath that he had been drinking and, he and he'd curse and use God's name in vain as he talked. But he was so happy and laughed as he told me, quote, Our preacher preached, and I found out from the Bible it is true that everybody is going to be saved. It doesn't make any difference what you do. Isn't it wonderful, he said? You know, the Bible says that with God, all things are possible. And the Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish. All things are possible to God. Brother Hagin says, yes. And is God all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise? Yes. Can he do anything? Yes. Well, he's plainly said. He's not willing that any should perish, so nobody's going to perish. Everybody will be saved, this man says. I've been so thrilled since I found that out. A full gospel minister who for many years had a real ministry in getting people saved and baptized in, in the Holy Spirit got off into that same error. For years, he said, I thought my alcoholic uncle who died cursing God went to hell, but now I find out, uh, found out he went to heaven. He's saved because God's not willing that any should perish, and God's all-powerful. I used to talk to him years ago about accepting Christ, but he'd curse me and send me on my way. He never did make a profession of Christ, but I know now he went straight through to the glory world. Brother Hagin says, can you see they use Scripture all, all right? With God, all things are possible. That's Matthew 19. That's in Mark 10. God is not willing that any should perish. That's 2 Peter chapter 3. Can God do anything? Is he all-powerful? Well, certainly. But they belabored the point. They didn't harmonize these scriptures with other scriptures. The Lord Jesus said that some people are going to be lost. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believes not shall be damned. That's Mark 16, 15 and 16. No, the extreme teaching of ultimate reconciliation is erroneous. D. 
devilish and even misleading and does damage to the body of Christ. And I wanted to use it as an illustration. Now, coming back to the woman question, can't you see that you can do the same thing with this? When one man tried to make his point with a verse of scripture he was clinging to, I pointed out to him another scripture. Well, he said, there may have been some exceptions, but this is the way God wants it. No, if an interpretation doesn't harmonize with all other scriptures, then the interpretation is wrong. Now look at 1 Corinthians 11.5. 1 Corinthians 11.5. I hope you understood all that. Listen, people can try and make a thing seem like a thing if you ignore other scriptures. You can pick this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, and then this one. And you can kind of make it say whatever you want it to say. Again, what these... The example Brother Hagin was using here is that these people were teaching that everybody would be saved no matter what, but they didn't take into consideration other passages, even Jesus himself, let alone uh, other passages in the letters, but even Jesus himself, if they do not believe in their heart and confess with their mouth, he said they will be damned. So Jesus himself said there will be some. In fact, the Bible tells us Wide is the way to destruction, and many find it. Now, uh, and then it said, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there are that are on it. That, sh- that should encourage our, e- our evangelistic efforts, knowing not everybody is making it to heaven unless they hear, receive, accept it, believe it, and confess it. And then First John tells us, Don't be deceived that they don't practice righteousness. They're not righteous. So you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say if you ignore the full counsel, the harmony of other scriptures. All right, so now he's bringing us back to our thought here because this is what people have done concerning women in ministry. They've taken a few verses and tried to make an entire definitive position on it. All right, 1 Corinthians 11.5. Here's what the King James says. But every woman, or excuse me, but every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all one as if she were shaven. Now here Paul is talking about women praying and prophesying in the church. And some people think that to prophesy means to preach. And really it is one phase of preaching. If while you preach, you say something under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, you are prophesying. Now, was Paul illogical enough, especially writing under the inspiration of Holy Spirit, to tell women they could pray and prophesy or even preach in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians and then come over to the 14th chapter and tell them to be quiet? You understand where we're going here? Look at Acts 2, verse 16. Acts 2, 16. Here, we see that says this, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Watch this. Your sons, come on, and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants, verse 18, and on my handmaidens, I will pour 
out in those days my spirit and they, men and women, shall prophesy. Hundreds of years before the day of Pentecost, the prophet Joel prophesied about it, saying, it shall come to pass, God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Peter said on the day of Pentecost that this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. We are living in that dispensation today. We would might call it Holy Spirit dispensation. God has poured out of his spirit upon all flesh, which includes women as well as men. Your sons, he says, and your daughters shall prophesy. Again, just to belabor this, daughters will prophesy equally as your sons will. Brother Hagin says, as a young Baptist pastor, when I first came around full gospel people, I fellowshiped with them primarily around divine healing. I sort of closed my ears to other things they taught, but I knew they had revelation on divine healing. No other churches I knew of had that. I'd been healed by the power of God and had been standing in faith alone. So when I found these people, it strengthened my faith, uh, faith to fellowship with them. As a Baptist pastor, I would attend every full gospel service I could get to. Some of my colleagues among the Baptists warned me against these Pentecostal people. One man in particular, a seminary graduate whom I'd known all my life, said to me one night, you ought to be careful now, Kenneth, about going around those full gospel folk. I'll admit they're good people, and I'll admit they live stricter and straighter lives than most folks in our own church do. <laughs> but he warned, that speaking in tongues is of the devil. Is it? Yes, it is, he said. Well, now, I said, it seems a little strange to me that people could have something from the devil and it would help them live better lives. The way I'm able to ascertain it, the works of the devil make people worse, not better. I didn't understand speaking with tongues then as I do now, but instead of hindering me, he helped me to see that it must be good. Those Pentecostal people, he went on to say, have got to be wrong. Why, I asked. They've even got women preachers. <laughs> That's what this brother said. He was telling Brother Hagin. He said, not only are they messed up because they speak in tongues. Of course, Brother Hagin said, well, it looks like the speaking in tongues is helping them live better lives. <laughs> but then this guy goes, well, they've got them women preachers over there. <laughs> they do, Brother Hagin said. Yes, they let the women teach. <laughs> they let the women testify. They even let the women take a prominent place right in the very church service. And that is wrong, this brother said. Is it? Brother Hagen said. Yes, this Baptist brother said. It's wrong for women to preach. It's wrong for them to take the lead in any way. The Bible says, he, start, he starts quoting the Bible. The Bible says, let the women keep silent in the church. Brother Hagin said, oh, well, or wait, 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 wait. No, I'm sorry. He said, uh, this guy's quoting the Bible. He says, let your women keep silent in the church. Our women don't? Oh, well, he said, we let them teach over in Sundays. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm messing this up. So this guy's quoting the Bible. He says the Bible says, this Baptist brother's saying, 
let the women keep silent in the church. Brother Hagin says, well, our women don't, referring to some women in the Baptist churches. Then, then this guy says, oh, well, well, we let them teach over in the Sunday school building, but not in the church building. That's ridiculous, Brother Hagin said. And it's exactly what Jesus said the Jews were doing. They'd say, oh, the temple is holy right here around the altar, but the rest of it's not holy. You can do what you want out there. You can sell sheep and cheat people out there. But Jesus took a whip, and guess what he did? He drove out the money changers. Basically, Brother Hagin saying, Jesus said, the whole of the temple. That Sunday school annex I went on is just as holy as the sanctuary. And besides that, as far as having church is concerned, it's where two or three are gathered that they're having church. It's not the building. The building is just the place where we meet. The church under the new covenant is not confined to any building. Paul wrote several times, as did others, about the church in so-and-so's house. You can have church in the open air, a barn loft, downtown, in a little mission, in a tent, or in a great cathedral. Being Baptist, I knew this Bible teacher thought that to prophesy meant to preach. And, as I said before, there is an element of truth in that. However, all prophesying is not preaching. And all preaching is not prophesying. But I knew he thought that when the Bible spoke of prophesying, it meant preaching. So I said this. Peter quoted Joel, uh, Joel's prophecy on the day of Pentecost that under this dispensation, the daughters will prophesy as well as the sons. And to prophesy means to preach, doesn't it? Is it wrong for them to preach? Uh, 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 I'd have to give that a little more thought he said while uh, uh, while we're on the subject I said let me say something else we send women missionaries and those women missionaries teach and preach on foreign fields they teach other women and men as well as children one of our own recent uh, mission magazines told about a mission uh, station where there is no man a woman is heading it all up Really, she's heading up what you'd call a local church, and we've put our stamp of approval on it. He says, I believe it's inconsistent to say to them that you can do this over here, but you can't do this here. He says, ladies, you can talk over there, but you can't speak in the main assembly. We won't ordain you. Some have since been ordained, he said. This was 40-some years ago. Of course, this controversy is still going on today. He's saying, I believe it's inconsistent to tell them that they have to be quiet. But we recognize the call of God on your life, so we'll send you out on the mission field. You can't teach or preach the men here, but you can over there. Then we send them to the front lines where it's the hardest. What's the difference, I asked him, of preaching to the heathen over there and preaching to the heathen here? Acts chapter 1, verse 13. Acts chapter 1, verse 13. And it says this, and when... They were come in. They went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with the women. It says this in verse 14, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. 
Listen, there were 120 individuals, both men and women, gathered together in the upper room at Jerusalem. When Pentecost was fully come, the Spirit descended on them, and they were all filled, men and women. They were all filled and all spoke with tongues aloud. That Pentecost morning was one glorious morning when the women were not silent. Yes, someone might say, but that was in the upper room. They were having church there just as much as you can have church in any auditorium. The room doesn't make the church. It's the individuals gathered together to pray and to worship God that make it church, even if it's in your own living room. There also must have been women present at Cornelius's house. In Peter's account of what happened, he tells how an, how an angel from God appeared to Cornelius and told him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee uh, words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Now, all of Cornelius's house consisted of more than just men. It consisted of his wife, sons, daughters, etc. And when Peter came there, they had church. It might have been in their house, but they were still having church. The word was being preached. Look at this, Acts 10, 44. While Peter spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them all which heard the word. Verse 45. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles the Holy Spirit and the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Notice that it doesn't say that they just heard the men uh, and the women were keeping silent. No, Peter was sent to preach to the entire household. And we can conclude that since the Holy Spirit fell on them all that heard the word, that the women as, as well as the men were speaking aloud in other tongues and magnifying God. When the Spirit of God came on Mary the mother of Jesus, uh, and on Elizabeth, the mother of John, and on Anna, the prophetess, did they keep silent? No, they spoke. Luke 1, 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. This is the King James. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation or the greeting of Mary, that the baby inside her womb leaped, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 42, and spake out with a loud voice. You know what he's doing here. You understand where we're going. People have taken this context as women must keep silent. That is as erroneous as it comes to lift that one verse out of context and apply it to every situation everywhere. We have, by the mouth of more than three witnesses, we have established that it is totally appropriate. In fact, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit that when Holy Spirit moves on women, they may and should, come on somebody, release that unction from Holy Spirit. They are permitted to speak out loud. Come on somebody. Thank you, Jesus. Again, he's saying that when the Spirit of God came on Elizabeth, she spoke out with a loud voice and began to prophesy. The Lord gave her a message. When the Spirit of God came upon Mary, she did the same thing. She spoke out a beautiful prophecy, which you can read in Luke 1, 46 through 55. 
Yeah, someone will say, but that was in the home. It's all right in the home. When the Spirit of God moves as people worship him in your home or your living room or the church building, come on, you're having church. And when the Spirit of God moves, as far as God is concerned, there is really neither male nor female. See, we know this in Christ Jesus. It's not a male-female issue. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. When the Holy Spirit moves, he's not going, uh, let me see, i got to find a dude here. Um, man, there's a bunch of women here, but I can't use them. Uh, let me see, I need to find a guy. Is there a guy here? Listen, Holy Spirit doesn't do that because he's not seeing these limitations like you and I might see them or struggle to see them. He's, he's not saying, well, since there's no men here, I guess I can't uh, speak because all of these ladies have to remain quiet. Hallelujah. Traditions of men have made void the power. It, it, it has hindered, resisted the power. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We thank God for our sisters. We thank God for the daughters. We thank God for the women that are used mightily of Holy Spirit. And listen, the Holy Spirit comes on them. What dude in his right mind is going to be like, oh, wait, 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 hey, you know what? Holy Spirit, sorry, you made a mistake here. You shouldn't have uh, started moving in this person right here because you know they're a woman, right? Um, so hold on. No, no, no. Holy Spirit, it says he wills, friends. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he's not seeing these male-female distinctions. Now, he's not going to violate order and structure, but he doesn't see male-female. Now, listen, this is what Brother Hagen goes on to say. He said, when the Spirit of God moves, as far as God is concerned, there's no male or female. If the Spirit of God comes upon a woman, I'm not going to tell her to be quiet. Are you? If she's preaching a sermon, are you going to tell her to hush? To do so, listen to this, to do so is to uh, to do it in resistance to the grace of God. Um. Look at this, Luke 2, 36. And there was one, Anna, a what? Come on, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years. Uh, and then he passed on and then she was a widow after, after seven years. Um, and uh, verse 37 she was widowed now, but she, but she came to the temple, served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Verse 38, and she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. The Bible calls Anna a prophetess, which is simply the feminine form of prophet. Anna was speaking right out in what we would call the house of God. Paul certainly would not um, Paul certainly would not prevent women from speaking messages given to them by the Spirit. For the Lord said, your daughter shall prophesy. Paul could not countercommand the Lord's order by saying, the daughter shall not prophesy. Could he? Remember, this is what he's saying. He's saying, the Spirit of uh, Joel prophesied that God was going to pour out a spirit on all flesh. The sons and the daughters, the men and the women would be used by the spirit of God and they would prophesy. So he's saying Paul would not counter that command by saying, no, daughters can't 
prophesy. He would never do that. You, you and I wouldn't do that. We don't do, do that. Some people do, but we don't. And neither can any other man. I'm convinced Paul was saying, I suffer not a wife to teach or usurp authority or headship over her husband. Remember in Ephesians 5, he said, the husband shall be the head. The wife is not the head because she represents the body of Christ for all members of the body everywhere. It's an anointed position. The husband represents the head as a representative, as a representative of the headship of Christ uh, uh, for everybody everywhere. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, I permit that a body should not usurp authority over its own head, that the body should seek the grace and the anointing on its head. If they have a question, let them go to their direct report. Come on, somebody. If you have a question, go to your direct report, the, the one you would directly go to for counsel, wisdom, encouragement, etc. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, uh, Brother Hagin's saying, I'm convinced Paul was saying, I suffer not a wife to teach or usurp authority over its own husband, over her own husband. Yet, if the husband were not a Christian, he wouldn't know anything to teach his wife, and she might have to teach him. She might even have to take some authority, which is not really hers, because children need to be taught in the home. The husband should be the example setter, but let's say he's not taking his role. Well, then the wife will have to do what? Teach the children the godly ways and principles. If the husband is not going to take his place and read the Bible and pray with the, uh, pray with the children, well, the wife should. And she is not disobeying God by doing so. But even leaving it as the King James translates it, it says, I suffer not a woman to teach. It might not have been advisable in that day and in that part of the Roman Empire for women to teach. In our times, though, even those who take a strong stand for keeping women quiet in the church services have yelled enough to let them teach in Sunday school and, or excuse me, have yielded enough to let them teach in Sunday school and in public school. Paul means, though, someone says, that women should not teach men. Well, Priscilla and Aquila were Paul's, Paul's companions in whom he had great delight. And Priscilla, a woman, taught Apollos. We'll look at this and then we'll have to bring this podcast to a close. We'll go on to part two next week. But look at this in Acts chapter 18, verse 26. And he, watch this, Apollos, began to speak boldly in the, in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the ways of God more perfectly. Well, it's all right to teach one man, some might argue. If it's all right to teach one man, it's all right to teach a dozen. <laughs> You see how the traditions of man have made this so complicated, so complex, it's ridiculous. Brother Hagin saying that some people argue, well, it's okay to teach one man. See, because the scripture is actually giving permission to women to be used of God. Hallelujah for it too. And so some people, they say, well, you know, okay, I can't argue that in Acts 18. Oh, okay, okay, I can see where a woman taught a man there. And so they say, well, it's okay for a woman to teach one man. Brother Hagin said, if you can teach one man, you can, you can teach a dozen men. 
That would be like arguing it's all right to steal $1, but wrong to steal $5. They can teach all right anywhere, but in church, some people continue to argue. Who said so? They right there were having church. The three were gathered in his name. Jesus didn't specify where they had to be gathered. You see what they're saying? Well, okay, well, women can preach um, over at the convenience store, but they can't preach uh, in the sanctuary of the church. You know, the brick building that we raised money for and somebody gave a donation and we built it. They, they can't preach there, but okay, they can preach over there. Psalm 68, 11. The Lord gave the word and great was the company of those that published it. This is a prophetic psalm. It's talking about the good news or the gospel and the day in which we are living. It has troubled some of the opposers of the ministry of women to know that the Hebrew word translated company is feminine and not just a word of feminine gender, but a word which means women. Here is the way Isaac Leeser, he was a, a great scholar, uh, he, he, here's how he translated it from the original Hebrew. The Lord gave happy tidings, and they are published by the female messengers, a numerous host. <laughs> oh, I tell you. I mean, I'm not laughing at anybody, but I'm saying, listen, you got to know your Bibles, friends. You, you, you have to be a student, a, a student that diligently applies himself to rightly divide the word of truth. Again, Psalm 68, 11, it's tra that word company is translated. Isaac Leeser, he's a famous, you can look him up. He's, he's a famous Bible scholar. He said that if you were to translate that Hebrew and just read it literally, here's what it would say. Psalm 68, 11, the Lord gave happy tidings and they are published by the female messengers, a numerous host. Hallelujah. Brother Hagin says this, after all, the first one to go and tell, and to preach means to go tell. So the first one to go tell the good tidings of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, guess who was a woman? That's right. Jesus told her, go tell. And I'm telling you, women have been telling it ever since, and they should keep on preaching. We're going to pause right there. We'll pick this up next week, and uh, we'll dive even deeper, hallelujah, into this controversial subject. What about women in ministry? And I'm telling you, friends, we need all of our sisters. We need all the daughters. Come on, the rise up strong and the calling of God that's on them. There is an anointing on them. There is a grace upon them. And I'm telling you, there is a message of the Lord Jesus Christ on the inside of them we should not shackle that message. Rather, we should release them into the fullness that God has for them. Oh, I love it. Let me read Psalm 68, 11 one more time. The Lord gave happy tidings, and these, referring to the tidings, they are published by the female messengers, a numerous host. Hallelujah. Oh, I absolutely love that. Praise God. Listen, if you're a sister in the Lord, then we champion the call of God that's on your life. Listen, rise up and rise up strong. Hallelujah. And uh, get out there and do what God's called you to do.
Hey, if we can pray for you, it would be our honor to do so. Several ways you can reach out to us with your prayer requests. You can send us an email, hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv. Or you can call us, 870-741-9099. Leave a message, somebody will get right back with you. But it would be our honor to partner with you in prayer. Um, Let's see, what else? Praise God. Join us right back here next week as we get a little bit deeper into Can Women Be in Ministry? What about women in ministry? Hallelujah. Oh, we thank the Lord for helping us. All right, friends, this has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, be blessed.